This episode of the Bamboo Pastors Podcast has been brought to you by the Growth Center for Church Admission. The Growth Center has established the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader, a ministry ecosystem which brings together pastors, ministry leaders, and marketplace leaders who are finding creative ways to utilize their faith and their talents to bring the gospel to the cities and communities they live in. Check them out at thegrowthcenter.com. Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. Welcome in, friends. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Bamboo Pastors Podcast. John, so good to see you and talk with you. How are you doing? How's your week been? Hey Jalen, uh, it's been it's been good, you know. So lately, I've been trying to ride my bike to church more often. I live really close to church, so this is not a strenuous bike ride by any stretch of the imagination. It's at at the most, it's like three and a half blocks, maybe. But I have been trying to, you know, conserve some energy, leave a, a smaller footprint, and ride my bike, and so that's been good. But it's been reminding me of just how gracious God has been since I've arrived because you, I think you know this story, but I wanted to share this with our listeners. Um, about two weeks after I got here, this bike that I had like worked hard to bring from Chicago to San Jose, I had to like strap it to the ceiling of the shipping container and was like super excited to like ride to church occasionally. I had it locked up outside of my front door. And I just thought in my mind, I was like, I'm in a gated community. I'm on the second floor, you know, and it's like kind of tucked into like a little nook. And so I put a cable lock through the frame and then I just U-locked the fork of the bike to the the frame of the bike. So it wasn't like U-locked to the railing or anything. And I thought, oh, it'll be fine. But then a lot of people here were telling me like, well, bike theft is kind of a big deal or it's kind of, it's very normal in this part of San Jose. And so, you know, you should just be careful. And of course I did not listen to them. So, my second week here, my bike got stolen from off my porch. I walked out on a Saturday morning and it was just gone. So they cut the cable lock and then my bike was, was gone. So I was pretty bummed about it, but I think it was one of those moments like, okay, I learned my lesson. This is my fault for not listening to like locals telling me what to do or whatever. Um, but by God's grace, four hour, three or four hours after I discovered my missing bike, I was driving to church now because I could not bike anymore. Uh, And as I pulled out of my, like the gate from my complex, I saw somebody ride past on a bike that looked just like my bike. And so I thought, wait a minute, that's, that looks like my bike. And, and then I noticed that my, my U-lock was still attached to the fork in the frame, which I was amazed that he could even ride it because he could not turn. He could just ride in a straight line basically at that point. And so I, you know, I chased him down in my car and was like, where'd you get the bike from? He claims he didn't steal it. He, he bought it off of someone. So, which I guess makes sense. Like, would, would you ride back to the scene of scene of the crime? That seems a little not smart, but anyways, I got my bike back. So, and I did give the guy a $10 finder's fee because that's what he claimed he bought the bike for. And so now every time I ride it, it reminds me of the gracious hand of the Lord uh, just in the bike that was lost and has now been found, so. Yeah. Other than that, it's been a pretty normal week for me. 
How about yes, you? That, How are that's you a great story. Yeah, good. Um, I, I love hearing that story. And I'm glad you're able to ride your bike right now because, you know, we're recording <laughs> in the middle of February and there is a huge snowstorm actually across the country, right? There are millions of people who are uh, getting hit with snow. Uh, but but here in Chicago, we've been we've been hit, I think, with about 20 inches of snow where we're at. And we're digging ourselves out of everything. But we built a, a nice little sledding hill in our backyard. So we've been doing that. And the kids have been enjoying it and uh, throwing snowballs. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, you know, I'm, I used to hate shoveling snow. I actually still hate shoveling snow. But I think watching the kids have fun in the snow has made it a lot easier to endure, you know, this sort of snowstorm and, and that sort of thing. So that's what's been going on with us. And how soon before the kids are old enough to do all the shoveling where you don't have to supervise at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, we'll definitely have to supervise probably for a while. We've we've already tried. You know, I, I went before the snowstorm. I bought enough shovels for everybody. So we have like seven shovels in the garage, but you know, within two minutes of being out there, they're, you know, they're just throwing snowballs. They're running in, they're running around, you know, they're making whatever. So, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't have any, I don't have any expectations of getting any help anytime soon. Of course. Okay. Soon. I hope that they will be able to pitch in maybe not this winter, but you could train them up for the next one. maybe. <laughs> so in any case, our guest for today uh, is not dealing with that kind of weather right now, um, but he is not in California like I am. He's actually on the opposite side of the planet. And so I think for them, this is more like late summer, maybe, or spring. I don't, I don't know what season it is, but it's not winter for them. Uh, our guest today is Chris Lung. Chris is the English pastor at Brisbane Chinese Alliance Church. And if you don't know where Brisbane is, it's in Australia. Um, the land down under. And so we're recording this on a Thursday evening. And Chris is recording this from the future because it's Friday afternoon <laughs> for him there. So Chris, we are really glad that you're on the podcast with us. And yeah, welcome. Hey, how you going? G'day. Love it. Thanks, Chris, for joining us. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that our listeners are going to get uh, your, your Australian accent in here. I think it'll be great for our podcast. I'm looking forward to hearing that more and more. But, you know, with our guests, we, we love to hear just their ministry journey, how the Lord called them into ministry. Uh, would you be able to share with us just briefly your, your ministry journey and your calling into uh, being a pastor? Yeah, I became a Christian when I was around 14 years old. I was going to a, a Chinese church, Evangelical Free Church. In Australia, it's very small, but you probably heard of it in the US. Second gen congregation. But most people at the church were in uni, college, uh, or working. So I'm just this little young dude hanging out with 20 people, at least five, six years older than myself. And the congregation, we've got like 80 people. But, you know, there was this, I guess there's since like a move of the spirit and, um, a very influential uh, university campus ministry, similar to InterVarsity, that, that was operating in Sydney, where, which is where I grew up. And so in a congregation of 80 people, there's like eight people who are, you know, about five, six uh, years older than me, and they're all preparing for ministry. Missions, going to Bible college, seminary, uh, preparing to be pastors, doing internships. So by the time I started university, you know, they're all getting ready to go. One of my small group leaders previously, you know, spent two years in you know, East Asia as a missionary. Um, my mentor was about to go to Bible college. So, you know, in a typical second gen church, you've got people becoming doctors, lawyers, engineers, 
and pastors and missionaries. So like for me, it was a legitimate career path to go into ministry based on my peers and my mentors. So when I went to university, um, I joined the same campus ministry that those guys had done. And so I had already started thinking about ministry because of my mentors. Uh, they encouraged me to keep doing ministry. And then I guess on a similar track, like when I was a kid in primary school or elementary school, what you, like um, under 12, right? Like I would see myself as Australian. Like I would hang out with white Australian kids. And I'm like, this, I'm not Chinese. And then I realized, actually, maybe I'm not that Aussie. Then in high school, I start hanging out with other Asians, other Chinese. I'm like, yeah, this is where I'm at. We play basketball. We listen to hip hop. But then some of my other friends, you know, they listen to Jay Chow. Like, oh, I don't know about listening to Mandarin music. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not that Asian either. So then when I get to college, you know, university, and like, I think in that process, I start to understand more about being second gen. Like, I'm just a third culture. I'm not Australian. I'm not Chinese. I'm just Chinese Australian, and that's who I am. And I think there's this alignment between my cultural identity happening at the same time as me thinking about. Um, the gifts that God has given me and where he's calling me. And they just align. And I'm like, yes, we need more second generation, you know, third culture people in ministry, pastoring second gen churches. And so when I was, I think, in my third year of university, um, through lots of encouragement and affirmation and this thing happening, like um, I just, yeah, felt this conviction and calling that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to train for ministry and pretty much, yeah, serve in a Chinese church with the English congregation. Yeah, you know, as as I'm listening to your story and, and you talk about just the journey that you've been on, I'm I'm struck by how similar it sounds to, you know, many of the journeys that we've been hearing on the podcast and of our peers and our friends. And you just replaced like the word uh, America with Australia or, you know, American, Australian or whatever. Uh, and yet there's so many similarities. And I know that, you know, you've been, you've listened to the podcast a little bit, a few episodes here and there. And so you've gotten a glimpse into kind of what the, the Chinese American church has been like, what different things have been taking place in, in our spaces and in our uh, congregations. And so I'm curious if you could maybe tell us more about um, the Chinese Australian church, you know, not necessarily a history lesson, but just as you've been learning about kind of how we do church over here, are you sensing some similarities? Are there some differences? Uh, what are things that have stood out to you? Yeah, there are definitely a lot of similarities. Um, I think the big thing about America and Australia is that we're very much culturally downstream from the US. So like you've heard of the, the Hallyu wave, the Korean soft power, so people listen to K-pop, watch K-dramas, and suddenly we're all experts on like Korean stuff. I think Australia is a bit like that with the US. Like since the 1950s, when we had TV, it's been all American TV, you know. And so we've we've been influenced by the US soft power. And so we kind of feel like we know a lot about America. But, you know, in church-wise, you know, we've, we learn all our ministry, a lot of our, um, the people we look up to, have been North American and in particular in the US. So yeah, a lot of the stuff translates across, not everything. Yeah, I think there's a couple of differences, like, you know, we didn't have a war of independence, you know, we're still faithful British, part of the British colony in a sense. Um, and so, you know, we, and I think 
So then our, our theology still borrows from the British heritage, whereas I think Americans very much rejected what the British uh, taught. And, but, but then we've had the American software. So we're just this amalgamation of British evangelicalism and American evangelicalism and a bit of like kind of Australian one as well. And the, uh, similarly in the, the Chinese church, like that's how we've been doing things, influenced from both sides. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of benefit to being able to see some of the mistakes that Chinese churches in America have made and kind of adjusting course as that kind of trickles down to sort of the, the, the Chinese Australian church. But what, what are some of the, uh, the changes and how has the Chinese Australian church evolved in your time during ministry? I think when I was growing up in church as like a teenager, there were not many uh, second gen people in ministry. There were not many pastors serving our churches. Like in my church, I had one pastor for about maybe four years. And then um, he ran into uh, difficulties with the senior leadership who were first generation and he moved on and then we couldn't find another pastor. And all my friends' churches, same, same deal. Although we get like a, like a, Caucasian Australian guy who gets along really well with us, but unable to connect with the um, a lot of the senior leaders. Or we might get like Malaysian, Singaporean, Chinese who speak English. They think a bit more like the first gen and get along well, but then they can't connect with us um, as easily. Uh, and so, you know, when that was one of the driving factors for me to going to ministries is weren't enough pastors. But I think today most. Like in Brisbane, when I started here uh, just over nine years ago, I think 20% of the churches here, so two, like two out of 10, there's not many, um, would have had a pastor who had some sensitivity to like second gen issues. But now it's like 90%, like it's pretty much full. And in Sydney, it's kind of similar deal. And it's not just that they're full, but it's not a revolving door either. Like in the past, there was like a handful of pastors and they were committed to Chinese ministry, but kept running into similar challenges in each church. And they just kept moving on and on. Whereas right now, I think I've seen a bit more stability, like pastors are able to stay at a church for more than three years. So that's been a great change and evolution where we're understanding, I think both the pastors and the churches are understanding like what it is to minister second gen and how to, relate to the, sec the pastors of those second-gen congregations. We have also had a silent exodus, a lot of second-gen people leaving. So when I was growing up, like I mentioned, my church, we had all these people going to ministry. It, it wasn't just my church. There was a number of churches, particularly through our campus ministry influence, like going into ministry. But, you know, these, these were my peers, and they're like, they just had bad experiences as youth leaders in a church. And they're like, we want to go into ministry. We want to be pastors but not in the Chinese church, right? Not going back, no way. And so there's a ton of them in our, in our mainline denomination, although in Australia, mainline is fairly quite reformed and conservative. So that's like our Anglican, Presbyterian, Baptist churches. But yeah, they don't, they don't want anything to do with Chinese. And there's quite a lot of them in ministry now, but, you know, which is great. Um, but yeah, so few were willing to be in a Chinese church setting. But I think, Today, there's definitely more, I've seen more willingness of people. And yeah, partly because there's more of us as well. So that at least I've got people to talk to about it. And like, okay, like you guys can stick it out. You know, we can, we can join the party now. It's not just me. Yeah. And I think one of the 
thing I've seen change is like when I was, again, when I was, I was growing up, there was this strong sense that, you know, me as a Christian, I look at my Chinese church and like, oh, they're more Chinese than they're Christian. And we kind of just reject everything that they offered in terms of theology and practice and ministry. And we just said, just throw that all out. And we just fully embrace, uh, quote unquote, the Western approach. But I think today it's a bit more balanced and saying, actually, you know, there's wisdom from both sides that we can appreciate that for those of us in ministry, we can, there's stuff we can learn that's been good from the Chinese side. Yeah, so I think it's a bit more balanced uh, rather than just throw everything out and just embrace what the, the, the Western tradition uh, would teach us. Yeah, that's really interesting because I know that, well, I, I'm speaking for myself. I think Jalen maybe can identify with some of this, but for myself, there were points in my life where, you know, I really wrestled with my ethnic heritage, right? Like who I am and my identity. And I, I think similar to what you just expressed about people not being interested in serving in, in the Chinese church, right? Like we don't want to have anything to do with it. We want to move on. I, I don't necessarily like, I think by the time I was thinking ministry, I'd already kind of moved past that phase of my life, but there was definitely a point when I, I really struggled with it and wrestled with it, especially when I was in majority culture spaces. And I've, I've read recently uh, in an article just the other day, actually, uh, about how oftentimes, you know, this millennial generation who kind of maybe stepped out of the ethnic church at some point will return because they want their children to kind of reconnect with, with who they are, right? And to not lose that particular piece of their identity. And so I wonder how much of that is, you know, is translating to also now, you know, in the pastoral ministry side where there's people who are coming back in a sense um, to serve in these, these places. Cause Jalen and I, like we've talked about this before, both of us have a heart to reach the, the ethnic church, the Chinese heritage church. And that is not necessarily like the same for every Chinese pastor across the board. Like God calls some of them to serve in multi-ethnic spaces and others to serve in predominantly, you know, Asian American spaces, like second gen Asian American spaces. But both of us have been called to serve in a, in like the more unique, I don't know if more unique, but in a unique space of being in congregations, serving in churches with first generation congregations in the church. And, uh, you know, I wonder how much of that is, is God just drawing his people back to serve, you know, in the context that you're in now in Australia, as much as he has been doing here, I think. But my question for you is, you know, just in, in recent years, cause you've talked about some of the ways that it's changed over your time in recent years or today, what are some of the challenges that you see the second generation, uh, in the, Chinese Australian churches uh, is facing. So just back to your previous point, I don't, haven't seen a lot of movement from people who've left Chinese church scene. I have not seen many come back um, at this point. Could be fairly early on, but I think for a lot of them, they just uh, don't see it as a really big thing for them. They, whether they've figured it out or not worked through their identity as Chinese heritage people. But yeah, there's been a hand, like a couple of people who've gone off and served in other settings. Or, oh, maybe maybe I was, it was a good thing to, to to serve in Chinese churches, but by and large, not really. In terms of current challenges, people are beginning to wrestle more with their ethnic identity. So 
I think the rise of subtle Asian traits has made people realize, oh, like it's kind of cool that I'm Asian. Yeah, and like that's not a, it's not a bad thing. Whereas I think a lot of times we kind of try to hide it or just, you know, like I'm not one of those Asians kind of attitude. Um, but I think people are now wrestling with that and what that looks like. And as a Christian, oh, is it, does it make a difference that I'm Chinese, Australian and Christian? Or am I just the same as every other Australian, like non-Chinese Christian? I think people are starting to wrestle with that, but it's very early on. Like people, are, we don't have the vocabulary to navigate conversations about that. So we're starting to get there. Yeah, I think that's certainly something that we we here in 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 the states we certainly wrestle with that a lot. And I think that you mentioned early on, just even growing up, uh, second generation, being that third culture, you know, listening to hip hop and then listening to Jay Chow and trying to figure out where do I really fit in, you know, that definitely that definitely influences how we look at ministry and how we look at faith and how we wrestle with our faith. And I think it's really important to have these conversations. And I think that's something that we, ha- we have to, we have to be intentional about with, with our people, with our congregation. I think for many people in our congregation, don't even realize that this is something that, that is important for us as a Chinese church to, to think about and to understand and to see the beauty of being a third culture person, uh, a second generation or third generation, and how that affects our faith and, and how that affects the way that we uh, understand who God is. And, and then even how that furthers the conversation in larger evangelical circles. And so I'm glad that you guys are starting to have those conversations. Certainly that's something that uh, we here in, in Chinese American churches, we're continuing to wrestle with and, and try to understand. You know, something that you said earlier was that you know, kind of in the Chinese Australian churches, there's kind of a, a trickle down effect. You're kind of downstream, um, being a little bit further downstream. What is your perception of the Chinese American church? I think something I've observed is, like I said, Americans in general, but including Chinese Americans, that there's a very strong pioneering spirit. Maybe it dates back to when you explored the the Wild West. But yeah, like it's a very normal thing for you to think about church planting and people just starting a ministry like from scratch basically in australia that we don't think that way 20 years ago church planting was not a thing if you were planting a church like why would you why would you plant a church there's there are needs in our existing churches to pastor why are you starting a new rival group Um, but that's changed in the last 20 years like there's actually church planting movement starting here and so that's been good to see but um i think part of that has been because we've seen America, oh, like that's actually a helpful thing. Like we need pioneering people. And of course, there were always pioneering people, but we just push them into uh, local church settings where they were frustrated. Um, and so, yeah, I also think that in terms of being downstream, like I said in the previous comment, like we don't have the language to talk about identity and things like justice. Whereas I'm, from my observation in the U.S., even as a conservative, theologically conservative person, we're still wrestling with justice and identity. But in Australia, it's, that's, those are no-go topics. Those are considered liberal and cultural Marxism. And so the, we don't touch it. We don't talk about that at all. That's trying to you know, navigate that space in between where it's like, you know, we're, we're not abandoning our theological positions, but these are topics we need to talk about. But it, it's very early on. Uh, I think here, whereas it seems like, well, in my interactions with 
um, Chinese American pastors, people are actually talking about it and, you know, you guys get what's going on and can talk about it freely, even as a, in a conservative uh, church. I'm, I'm sure like that's not across the board, but there's definitely, definitely happening uh, in some places. Uh, whereas here, it's only the progressive liberal uh, and a, ha a very small handful of uh, conservative reform kind of churches. That's really interesting because I know I'm sure all three of us would agree that we see justice as an integral part of, you know, of the gospel of Jesus, because the gospel is, is not just, you know, a transactional thing, but it's, it's God announcing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so that, that kingdom is a just kingdom and he's a just God. And so that's part of, part of the message. And, and yet it is, again, I think there have been elements of this that have been co-opted and make it really hard to talk about that. So, you know, my hope is that as you're watching what you are saying, the, the Chinese American church or the American church being upstream from you, that that will give you the opportunity to avoid the pitfalls or the landmines and really just glean the best of, of what comes from us rather than the good and the bad that you could just take from the good and let us make the mistakes or walk through those, those mistakes, I'm sure. But, you know, I know that Chris, that in, in your role that you serve at, you know, obviously you serve at your church, your, the local church, but you also serve alongside other um, Chinese pastors, especially Chinese pastors that work with second generation Chinese in from all over the world. And so I'm curious, just as you've mingled with with leaders from different parts of the world, right? Not just the United States, but maybe from Europe or different parts of Asia. Uh, what are some things that you've learned from just your connection to the to the diaspora? So, as a context, my my church is a Christian Missionary Alliance church, and I think the CNMA philosophy is that they hand over leadership to the national church pretty quickly, and so each country has its own vibe. But there's a you know, there's a world fellowship of each country, and if you've been in a Chinese church long enough, you know when there's an Alliance World Fellowship, there's a Chinese Alliance World Fellowship. Uh, and so in Australia, we have our network of churches. We also have our Chinese network, and um, had the privilege of being the executive committee for our Chinese network as as like an English slash second gen rep person. And so part of that was to connect with people other people in our CAWS. So yeah, 2018, I went to a conference in Thailand and there was some, it's just a CNMA conference, but there were Chinese diaspora people from Canada, US, UK, Germany. So I meet this German guy. He's, I'm trying to pass to these second generation German Chinese kids who don't speak Chinese. They only speak German. And I'm like, dude, this is, this is everything. This is what happens in our church. It's in English, not in German. And it's like, wow. And then there's others from Cambodia, yeah, elsewhere. So it's been really interesting to meet people from there. Yeah, it was interesting at that, uh, I guess, in a, not for me directly, but my wife is also um, in ministry and she's more engaged in terms of the theory of like being uh, third culture. And so she heard about Fuller Seminary, the Asian American Center. And actually there was a time we were considering to move to California so she could go and do the course there but just as we were thinking about that they offered it online so she was the first international student everyone else is like local US but she did it there and so through her I've been learning a bit more about like 
how Alisa Fuller, they talk about Asian American contextual theology and we're like, oh, you know, that's, that's really interesting. So when I go to this, this conference in Thailand, I meet this New York CNMA second gen pastor. And I, oh, my wife's talking about like, you know, we should develop like an, a contextual Asian Australian theology. I talk to anyone else about it here, like, oh, like, why, why would we need that? And this guy straight away is like, yes, you absolutely need contextual Asian Australia. I'm like, only in America can I meet people who would say things like that and know what I'm talking about. So yeah, it's been really interesting to work with people from different countries. Yeah, but as I, as I mentioned, like, yeah, the US and Canada, probably because of size and longer migration history, you know, more research has been done into these these um, issues and so we're very much still learning from you guys and uh, not you know taking everything on board as you say you know hopefully we can pick out the, the good from the bad but uh, it's still, still challenging work there. Yeah and as you've mentioned before too there's there are a lot of similarities and at the same time I think that certainly we can learn a lot here in the states we can learn a lot from the Chinese Australian church what are some things that just from your perspective, from your point of view, what are some ways that we can learn from the Chinese Australian church? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I'm not sure we've developed enough to be able to say anything to that. I'm really struggling with that because like as I've been saying, like we haven't spent time thinking about, well, what is the Chinese Australian church? What is our distinctives? What are some cultural things that we are upholding? And it very much looks like the the US one. So what can we, I'm not sure we can teach much at the moment, maybe in a few years time where we figure out a few more things. It's okay. So we'll just plan for you to come back on the podcast when you're ready <laughs> to tell us the things that like the, just like the hidden mysteries of God for the church, especially for the Chinese church that you guys have figured out and you're going to pass that on to us. So we'll be ready to receive yeah. that whenever you guys are ready to share it All with right, us. I'll, I'll let you know. So yeah. Hey, you know, we, we always like to kind of wrap up our podcasts asking this question of our guests. Um, but what would, what would just be one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to someone that's serving in the Chinese church, whether it's here in the U S or in Australia, or, you know, maybe around the world. We often talk about how second gen people, like we stereotype as saying like, we think Westernly that we're Chinese. And I'm not sure that's really true. Like we definitely think more Westernly, but we're not, we're not Westerners inside. And so I think there's this danger. We just assume that all these people that we're ministering to are just American or Australian, like in a Western way, but actually we're more Chinese than we think, you know, for example, like we still give face, like in a big way, maybe not the same way that our parents do it, and I'm not saying that giving face is a bad thing. Like, I think there's genuinely helpful ways to love and serve people is to give face. But there are some contexts where giving face is not helpful and it's detrimental to the relationships. But we still do that because that's all we know best. You know, so, for example, like it's so common, I feel like, in Chinese, in Chinese Australian churches that people don't tell the whole truth. Like you sit down one to one with the person and particularly, you know, if you're like the pastor, right, someone in a senior position and you want to get honest feedback, they, people can't give you honest feedback. <laughs> um, they have to tell someone to tell you. And you think, oh, that's what the first gen people do. Oh, yeah, we do it too. Um, 
And I've found like many times, you know, trying to talk to a person in my church, like I'm trying to like dig deep into a topic and later I find out they haven't told me everything. Yeah. So I think that's uh, something we, we need to be aware of. And yeah, there are, of course, other people who are very direct and tell me straight away. But there's a lot of us who don't. And I can understand that because I'm actually the same. Like if I go to a conference and, you know, we invite an international and American plenary speaker, paid a lot of money for them to come over here. They give an address at the conference. And deep down, I'm like, this is not a good talk. This is, this is actually like not great. Why do we... But then someone afterwards will be like, oh, how did you enjoy the talk? And I'll be like, yeah, it was pretty good. And I'll talk about the positive and I would not, and I wouldn't mention those things, you know, like that's what I would do by default. Um, and like, yeah, that's just me being, still being Asian me. Like I want to, I want to give face, especially in public about this. Maybe I'll talk about it in private, but I probably wouldn't. Like I would never go up to the person and be like, you know, I didn't like the exegesis on this side. Like I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't ask questions in question time. Like, yeah. And so I think um, for better or for worse, we're more Chinese than we lead We lead on. Um, and so I think we keep that in mind. Like, don't just assume that we do everything in a Western way. Actually, we still do a lot of things, still in a, in a Chinese way, which, yeah, both for better and for worse. So I'm going to admit that when you started saying answering that question and you said giving face Jalen and I were not 100% sure what you were talking about and it wasn't until you started to give examples and context that we realized that what you called giving face we would refer to as saving face which same meaning just a different terminology or different phrase so we definitely just learned something new about Australian you know culture vocabulary I guess yeah, thanks for that, Chris. I think definitely that's something that we can continue to think about because, you know, there are so many, there are blinders that we have, you know, we, we kind of operate and live and even minister out of our Chinese Australian-ness or Chinese American-ness. And we have to figure out what is truly biblical and to stick tr and to stay true to that. And, and whether it's saving face or giving face or whatever, uh, or other cultural baggage that we bring into our life or ministry, we need to be able to recognize that and take what is biblical and, and go with that. And whatever is not biblical, we need to uh, get rid of. And so I appreciate that word and, and that encouragement for us. But we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was fun to talk with you and, and great to meet you too. No, thank you, guys. It's been a very much privilege to be able to share. Thanks for coming on, Chris. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.